Welcome to the Building Sustainability Podcast with me, Jeffrey Hart. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers. Together, we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. All right, here we are. This is episode 103. This episode's guest is Helen Gordon, who is creative director and co-founder of Kite Creative. So I first came across a post from Helen, which was talking about her recent project. And I was really impressed with the, the breadth and the depth of the thinking that was going into all of the material choices. And we're going to discuss that project uh, and a whole lot more in this really inspiring conversation. I should say at this point that this episode is chocked full of mentions of things that you might want more information on. And so there is a whole host of links in the show notes for this episode. Also, if you'd like to see images of the cottage project we discuss and the Glastonbury bench, then they will be on the episode page of the Building Sustainability website. Before we get into the episode, time to tell you about Through the Looking Glass, a future for historic windows. So you might have heard Marianne Sir on her episode of the podcast talking about windows and how this is going to be a big conference. This is it. Uh, the blurb says, The push to insulate our homes due to rising cost of energy, but also the challenge of climate change, is rightly pointing a spotlight on drafty sashes and casements. This two-day conference and evening gathering, supported by SPAB, brings together experts in the history, repair and retrofit of historic windows and the design and manufacture of new joinery. It will be of interest to anyone who would like to join the debate and understand more. So if that sounds like your thing, maybe you work in the heritage sector, check out the link in the show notes. In other news, uh, there are no new patrons this week, but good news in that if all has gone well, I'll have caught up with sending out all of the spoon level rewards. That is for anyone who supports the podcast for £5 or more, and they get a hand-carved wooden spoon from me. So if you haven't received yours, then do get in touch because sometimes they get missed. And I certainly don't want you eating with a metal spoon. Uh, if you would like to support this podcast, and it is an independently produced podcast by me, it takes a long time and uh, I'll be honest, it's quite a lot of hard work, uh, then I would be so, so grateful. Um, I did work out my hourly rate for the work I do producing this and... Um, yeah, it's a, a fair way below minimum wage. So um, so if you get something from this podcast, then please do consider supporting. Uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. But equally, if you can't afford it, then absolutely enjoy this for free. Uh, just a quick update on the Nescombe Craft School. We will be on site building our workshop on the 1st of August. And we are using delightful coppice chestnut poles, um, and there's other projects up there to build a compost loo and generally get the uh, the infrastructure in, in place. Uh, we're hoping that by the end of the summer, we can host a few spoon carving socials and be gearing up for uh, for loads of courses to run next year. I am so, so excited for this and I can't wait to share those courses with you when we know what they are. All right, that's, that is it for me. Uh, if this is your first time listening, consider hitting the subscribe button and go back and listen to the 102 other episodes. Uh, but otherwise, here is Helen Gordon in conversation. Enjoy. <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We're nearly entering our 10th year of business now, and we have been pre- predominantly until uh, COVID uh, doing a lot of design and build refurbishment jobs on period houses. Um, yeah, we, we were predominantly working a lot where we were offering a two- turnkey solution for uh, builders where we'd be working from reconfiguring um, interiors, putting lots more en suites in, um, thinking about the needs of the person uh, when we were doing that, but um, very much um, sort of thinking in terms of the budget, obviously, that the client had, um, but offering high-end builds for young professionals from anything from, you know, full through the interiors where um, we'd be supplying, you know, down to wine glasses so that they could move in. Um, But as we we were never really sort of very always conscious about sustainability and the clients that we were working with never really had that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were sort of getting to the point where we were, you know, we were also working with um, domestic clients on more sort of their own houses, high-end sort of interiors, this kind of thing. But it was never, it was never something that people were thinking about. And then um, COVID struck, and we just sort of had time to breathe a bit. We, it was a very difficult time as well because we had um, jobs that we were doing uh, for domestic, actually residential clients, that went on hold. Um, and I just started going down a minefield, really, into looking into. Um, what does carbon mean? What is, you know, what, what does it all mean? And mm-hmm. just decided that um, we just had to change where we were going with our business um, and work on, yeah, just work on more sustainable things going forward because we're, you know, on our jobs, we were like contributing to about eight to 10 skips per job. We were doing around 65 refurbishing all during that time. And it contributed to about, 840 tons um of of waste you know so you you've got to really think about 
you know, what you're doing when you've got all these skips going back and forth and waste. So we decided to go back to our roots almost and work more on just the interior side, not just the build side, the whole build side, because my co-founder um, started off um, as a wood turner, actually, in craft way back. And we got very much interested in the circular economy, which I think we might talk about a bit later mm-hmm. as well, and how you almost need to own the whole space in order for it to work. So we set up a workshop um, where we're now we have the design plus the, the workshop and we're looking more at interior solutions for um, for builds instead now. And, yeah, that's where, where we're going. Great. Going forward, building sustainable kitchens, lots of different things like that. It sounds like you've had a, a shift in, in core values. How would you describe your core values now? Yeah, I mean, I think to be truly honest, I think that's the only way to get somewhere as a business because you're only ever sort of putting a sticking plaster over things. Otherwise, mm-hmm. um, we've become a purposeful business. I mean, we always were, but we've we've really thought almost inside out, what does that mean? Um, and how do we translate that and tell our customer that? And it's sort of absolutely putting, I don't really like the word sustainability, and I think that's something we might cover as well, but Mm -hmm. it's almost that, and nature becomes centre to what we do. And we've always cared, as I mentioned earlier, um, even though perhaps our client wasn't thinking about who lived in the space, we always were. Um, And so it's about, we've really thought about, well, it's about the well-being of the person in the space that we're providing for, but it's also this bigger picture of the planet. So really our purpose now comes back to what the well-being of purpose and planet, because without each other, I don't think we can continue for much longer. Um, And our our well-being comes down to, you know, nature in so many ways. So we've got to interlink a bit more and think about how we go forward so our message comes from that now and that's you know everything is aligned to that yes there's no point having a a beautiful uh caring home space when the rest of the world's on fire and in ecological disaster yeah and we're just chucking up buildings not thinking about all the biodiversity that may be there now and Mm -hmm. you know oh well never mind it's a nice house and, you know, not having any windows in it. So the people then are sort of going a bit mad because they can't see light or nature or anything out of them. It's yeah. it's all, you know, it, it, yeah, we have to think about all of it. <laughs> um, has it been difficult to to sort of uh, change your clients, I guess? Because you, you've stated that you, you'd only take on uh, sustainable or regenerative projects, but then, you know, has it been difficult to find those clients that had that mindset? Yes. I mean, it's sort of, and there is a little bit of a compromise. So, for example, we, uh, some people have come to us because we're local or our reputation, and that is part of it as well. It's, it's about having a resilient local sort of people that you, economy again, and working with those people and building something rather than sort of, not thinking about that anymore um so it, it is it's it's been but i think that's why it's important to get your message right first of all um because it's not necessarily a, about you know it could be say you get might get le- less leads 
but those leads are completely aligned with you and where you want to go. So you're creating more impact rather than 10 or 15 leads that make you unhappy. Um, you're constantly doing things that you don't want to do. Um, so yes, we've taken a, we've taken a big, um, yeah, uh, our money has, our turnover has gone down, but we are sort of starting to find that people are now coming more to us and being attracted to us because of what we do. I mean, luckily, not luckily, but thank goodness, things are, you know, seem to be, it's still a bit slow, but things are going in the right direction. So we are starting to attract more like-minded people now. But as I said, for example, this project that we worked on in Oxfordshire, which was about the local uh, valued sort of quality, you know, uh, people that we are in business, um, he also interestingly then did have a little bit of a sustainability mindset. So there was different things that he was open to working with then in his house. So we worked on a, a thatch cottage that, um, you know, from from him living there, he obviously had, he wasn't living in a new build. He was living in this very old house so where he, he was sort of thinking, okay, well, I want some of this to stay. I don't want to obviously modernize this, but the space was old and pokey and small and it wasn't very communal he's got three children and he needed it to sort of he wanted to spend more time in it he found that he wasn't spending much time in it it needed mm -hmm. to be updated um so we were brought in to sort of completely reconfigure that space but as we were going through it we were then sort of gently saying well have you thought because he wanted a new kitchen in it as well have you thought about um the materials that we use for that kitchen and how perhaps um, they could be a bit more sustainable. They could be, there's a lot of polluting materials that are used as well in builds. And, you know, have you thought about using these? And he's very much open to whatever suggestions we made. Um, going, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll do that. So, mm -hmm. for example, you know, we used a more breathable plaster on the walls because that's better for, um, for the walls to breathe in the future because it's mm -hmm. all lime walls we used um again the paints on top of that low vocs which are natural paints edward bulmer for example we use a very natural you know um great manufacturer mm -hmm. um and then our actual kitchens ourselves we're building um we're using glueless construction in them so that we're thinking about repurposely in the future and um you know we had we found these old barn doors in Oxfordshire that had come from another job in Oxfordshire and said, "What do you think of these?" Because he'd said he wanted some kind of wood to, you know, be used throughout um, to mirror the old beams and that kind of thing in the house. And he's got lots of sort of old bits of wood, um, and so we found these beautiful doors, absolutely stunning. And said, so, "Well, we could make countertops out of these." We could do shelves. We could make a dining table. We could do all kinds of things. Which he he said, "Great, yes, let's do this." Um, and yeah, so we sort of reused and and re recycled bits of timber that may well have just stayed doing nothing for years um, mm -hmm. into something beautiful and created legacy products. Put the value of his house up as well um, yeah. with what we've done. So. You know, little examples like that used um, brass fittings for lights because you can recycle brass in the future. Just really, uh, you know, he wanted a new sofa, for example, on the interior side of things as well. Rather than buying a new one, educating about what goes into the sofa, 
using a local upholsterer um, with natural, um, uh, you know, things for, for inside it to mm-hmm. to reupholster it, um, rather than uh, horrible bits of foam that give off um, nasty chemicals. Um, so he's got this beautiful old French vintage sofa now Lovely. in his in his home. Yeah, and, and a thing like that's that, built really. to last rather than a thing that's you know got a, a ten year lifespan. It's, Exactly, and he can hand, yeah, hand it on to his children or whatever he wants to do with it. Yeah, lovely. So you mentioned the the big old doors. Um, mm. Where where are you finding materials like that? Well, this was a reclamation site, actually. Oh, brilliant. Um, we, I mean, some of the time, for example, we, when we, on our past build jobs, we've kept uh, we or on jobs now, we we sort of are saying to the architect or whoever can you keep the scaffolding boards and can you keep the uh, the floorboards? Because we can reuse them for projects. They, you know, they shouldn't just be sent away to landfill or burned. Mm-hmm. So this was found at Reclamation Yard. But, for example, we did a waste bench that was a commission for Glastonbury Festival. Um, and this was uh, built to sort of um, really sort of show how the beauty of, using natural materials and how things that you think you know should be thrown away actually why you can make them into beautiful things so we we made this i don't know it's been classed as something like out of game of thrones but um (laughs) it's this big sort of big throne almost that um the idea was because it was just after covid it was the first festival that they put back on so it was about this idea of bringing people together on a bench to talk, and maybe they could talk about waste or mm-hmm. be wasted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> both. Yeah, but so it was, you know, more than just having one person sat on a chair. It was about allowing two or three people to sit on there Brilliant. and sort of have this space. And in the end, they were like, it, it then went to King's Cross for uh, also uh, something called Planted, which is a talks festival that happens there. And I've got pictures of children climbing over it and sort of, it was very much, you know, part of the space and used, which is what it was designed for and a talking point. Brilliant. That's brilliant. The uh, Planted, that's uh, Oliver Heath, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Who I am also on the interiors declare steering group with Oliver. Great. Yeah. So go on. Well, I just went to the most recent planted. I okay, where that was now somewhere. Stourhead. Yes, the one. Yeah, Wiltshire. Yeah. Uh, yes, very good. I've, I'm a big fan of of Ola's work. I mean, all the the biophilia stuff is. Um, I mean, it's what I'm all about. So absolutely, and that's part of what we do as well. And yeah, I mean, he's he's really making great strides in that area. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Pull you back slightly onto when you were writing about the the cottage in Oxford. Uh, one of the things that really its kind of maybe even the reason I wanted to talk to you most, you said the phrase uh, you wanted to celebrate the imperfections of timber and use, you know, bow tie uh, fixings and things like that. That, I mean, that just makes my heart sing. That I think you know, the, to get away from that strive for perfect, clean cut, you know, everything immaculate and actually, mm. you know, celebrate the life that a product had or the mm. you know or how it was as a tree or all of those kind of things yeah exactly and i think for me originally it's come from my fascination in japanese far eastern sort of craft and you know looked at the slow way that they've got this amazing sort of 
craft still going over there you know mm-hmm. the way they dye things the way they just will take weeks to understand about what doing one bit and the idea of kintsugi where you're you're celebrating the imperfection say the ceramic where you're putting the you know there could be a cut um a break and you're putting gold a gold leaf up it to to sort of highlight look it's a it's broken but doesn't this look beautiful or and it sort of went from there really because um and we just got like why we've got these beautiful things in it why then just sort of uh you know sand it and make it into a square no let's let's celebrate what what's there let let's move, work with it rather than changing it and yeah. i think that's really important brilliant i love it how do you choose so this is a, a thing that i've been talking about quite a lot recently which is if you sort of look at sustainability or regenerative um there are yeah there are lots of different facets to what makes a thing uh you know either good or bad and some products or some materials can be very very good in one area and very very bad in another product i use quite a lot is foam glass which is an insulation great for going underground uh it's recycled but so you know it it ticks loads of boxes but it uh, is a very high carbon creation material um so how do you find that balance in you know finding the best material when kind of everything loses out in in some aspect i think it's really it's a really tricky uh hard time to do that at the moment because it's almost there's a couple of platforms that have come out which also which so they have lots of criteria for example first planet and 2050 materials um and particularly with first panics i've had in-depth conversations with the woman that set this up where you know you're sort of ticking for carbon you're ticking for uh, you're looking at the ethical side of it, where it's come from, the science behind it, the repurposability. Um, but th- there's so many companies you still you still don't know exactly what they're doing at the moment. So you almost have to judge it yourself in a lot of ways. Or if there's something on those platforms, you can use those. So um, things that we do at the moment is almost. Uh, so it's looking if they've got an environmental product declaration, an EPD, and absolutely scrutinising that to see how the product's been made, where it's come from. It's it's looking at the whole sort of credentials of the company as well, and trying to understand if they're cra- if they say they're cradle to cradle products. Great, it looks like um, they're trying to sort of um, think about the whole sort of carbon side of it, the whole um, materials, everything because they're thinking about the reusability in the future. But, yeah, it's sort of looking at sort of standards that are out there already and sort of trying to make a a judgment, really, because I don't believe it's just about – it's not just about carbon. It's about the toxins that are in something because we spend 90% of our time indoors, so we should be thinking about what we're breathing in, you know, how we're going to make our life better for ourselves as well, for example, with technology. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's looking at a lot of criteria and trying to sort of balance it and understand, well, what's going to be best for our job? So it's, yeah, yeah. traceability, reusability, renewability. Um, and also, for example, like when we're building our kitchens, um, so you start looking and taking apart everything and even the glue that you you're putting it together with once it's contaminated that material 
you can't then reuse the material. So is there a glue out there that's more bio? I mean, you know, they're, they're still inventing things at the moment. It could be 50%. It might not be 100 but it's also sort of saying, um, being honest about it. Say, well, this is where we are on our journey. This is what we've done so far. These are the best that we can find. But, hey, if you can find something better, let us know. But this yeah. is where we're at. Yes. And I think that's important. We'll be back after a quick break. If you're looking for all things BMX racing, you found the right podcast. Here at Lane 8 BMX Podcast, I'll speak to the local racer, the national racer, and even the Olympic level racer. I'm talking kids to the weekend warriors and much more. So get comfortable, turn up the volume, and remember to snap on green. Sort of a, an honest evaluation of, of where things weren't as good as they could be in the hope that that they will be better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you touched a little bit on the, the ethics there. Um, mm. So ethics of materials, sort of where they're coming from, whether, I guess, you know, how they're being mined, what sort of labor and things like that. Um, you, you told me a, a story about how you'd actually sort of encountered that, uh, the ethics in China in a, in a previous job. Yes. Well, I used to be, I mean, and this is why this has also brought me to where we are in the business the past few years is I was a retail buyer for 10 years working for big companies like House of Fraser, um, as a, a homewares, um, buyer. So I was buying things anything from christmas decorations through to tableware to garden um and having to go out to india china uh taiwan lots of places like that to um to source and product develop with factories out there and it was always sort of the thing you know to really understand your supply chain to go to these places so um yeah you you know i I was sort of always very mindful of because we've always got quality uh things in place you know we wouldn't just be working with anybody but it was still really when you go there is the only when you really see what's going on or you know and it's all fine but it's not so for example in a you know in a factory in china you realize that those people are just working all year for us making christmas decorations for example and there's only two weeks of the year that they're not seeing their family. They're very much from all cultures, cultures from all over China. They don't look particularly happy and they don't even celebrate Christmas like we do. I mean, lights go off in the dormitory at nine o'clock at night, you know, and they're on this compound. That's their life, making all these consuming products for us that we bring over in containers, sell. We might chuck them away the next day, you know, um, seeing rivers that have turned different colours because of the dyes that have been used. You know, just it, and you know, and then when you're in India and you see the fragility of the supply chain, sort of going out from Delhi up to the industrial zone, and there's you know an accident and a horse and cart's being knocked over, and actually that horse and cart is bringing your stock down to the port to bring over in a container to the UK, and you go, oh, that's why it's late. It's literally because the horse and cart has blocked the road. And then they've got this massive clearing up job. I mean, it's so fragile, the supply chain still, you know, and we're just here demanding, consuming, consuming. We want it quicker, quicker, better, cheaper. Just can't carry on like that. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I almost said great then, but I meant great as in that's a lovely point rather than that's a great thing. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so transparent supply chains is a thing that is, I think you've talked about um, in terms of, you know, uh, being a good thing. As as you, someone who's looking to, to maybe buy a product or or sort of use a service, how do you look into that uh, transparent supply chain? And what's kind of a red flag for, you know, don't use these people? Well, again, I think things are really advancing and need to advance further in this area as we go forward the next few years. But at the minute... Um, for example, like I'm not very keen on sort of mind product um, because I, yeah, I'll look in, you know, I'll look into, so say, a marble top or whatever because these things will run out eventually. And you start looking into it. I mean, I'm almost my worst enemy by saying that because I have a mobile phone and <laughs> some of the stuff we're not totally sure about how that's being mined at the moment. But I think it's it's just really. Yeah, thinking about how something's been made um, and the, the ultimate sort of thing really is to use waste or biomaterials w- that have been made from from waste or good, not nothing to do with fossil fuels really, and mm. that's the sort of way of doing it. So um, in the future, you know, they're looking at sort of bringing in things like material passports where, you know, you'll be able to trace back um, where something's come from and, you know, what it's made from basically and if you say want to sell it back in the future or do something with it you'll be it'll have its it's all its you know information held within it almost within a a sort of stamp um you know like a barcode Mm -hmm. which is amazing and also life cycle analysis is something that is going to um well i hope become mandatory for products as well where you, you know, a customer will be able to look at something and understand, okay, well, this has come from a mine in, I don't know, China. And, you know, and then it's sort of been brought across by container. You can see how much carbon's been used for it. And then what are the, the materials that it's then been joined with and where's it been made in the UK and how long is it going to last and all this kind of thing. I think absolutely complete transparency transparency then on the product um Mm -hmm. for the for the customer because i think at the moment things have been taken away so much from the customer they don't think where things come from there needs to be this whole relearning exercise which is why we wanted to have our workshop and showroom and design office all together so that people can come and they can actually see people physically making the product and it's not it's not just arrived magically to them they can see it's it's really being produced by someone locally here and you're contributing towards the employee workforce by mm-hmm. buying this product as well. I think there's been so much detachment to things. We've got to reverse it and bring it back the other way. Well, I suppose that um, the whole supply chain thing becomes easier the more localised uh, these you know, services are. Um, you've, you've spoken about local a few times um yeah so how how are you sort of developing that that local well still early days at the moment i mean obviously i think it's really hard to shift supply chains at the minute Mm -hmm. because a lot of stuff we don't make anymore here we're more of a service-based economy in the uk 
Um, so there is sort of things like uh, looking at, well, what crops can we regrow again? Um, for example, I, I've been hearing, you know, about hemp as a great crop that they're looking at. How can we bring this back into more areas in the UK now? Because that is a very good biomaterial, resilient material that we can use. Um, so at the minute, we're obviously we're still having to import in our wood and things like that. But again, then we're, we're by using waste. So for example, what we're looking at doing and doing, trying experiments with working with Bath Uni, for example, um, to invent our own waste material. So we're, you know, you say, say the wood shavings or whatever, looking at how we can reuse that in projects, designing out waste so we've got a very precise cutting list using our CMC machines that and then we'll use the bits that are left not just burn them but can we make products from them and sell them um so that's one way that we're using things more locally but it's sort of also using local workforce it's it's supporting other businesses locally as well it's trying to build this sort of network and not being very much in silo. It's about collaboration as the way forward really now to build these strong, more resilient relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's what we've sort of found. For example, the kitchen, again, I'd bring back to, um, we're building these kitchens, but without what's the point of bringing sort of food in that's not being you know, organic or not thought about onto this beautiful, sustainable kitchen. It's about the local producers it's about the local chefs it's about bringing everything together really now um and almost trying to sort of relearn some of the things that we've perhaps forgotten about in the past brilliant so uh when we spoke before uh you spoke about uh changes to the the business structure to the sort of conventional model um what what's happening there yeah well i think as we've already touched on with transparency being ethical People that work for businesses are looking for that. They're tired of this whole sort of growth, 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 and this whole, it's just about profit. That's why we're in business. I don't think any, so many people just are not looking for that anymore. They don't want it. So this capitalist system just does not, you know, it's not delivering anymore, is it? It's all about let's lower inflation, let's get GDP up and, I think there's there's a lot of people crying out for different ways of working and there's sort of people more at the one end maybe that are seen as more revolutionary but things that I've been interested in cuz I mean things to start with like B Corp or a start where you're you know you're you're ticking lots of boxes and filling things in going on quite a hard journey to become a B Corp but um you're then seen as more of an ethical um sort of business that cares about social impact as well and that's great and that's something that we're on a journey to doing but I think it you know people taking boxes for ESG this kind of thing that's great too but in order to completely change I think it needs to be this regenerative idea and and it comes back to local and sort of looking bioregionally at ideas and place um, and there's a guy called John Fullerton who used to be the uh, managing director for J.P. Morgan in America. He's seen as one of these revolutionary sort of guys as he talks about regenerative capitalism. Um, and, and he's talking about this and how can we look at things like biomimicry where the flows of material seen in nature can be 
emulated in purposeful businesses. Um, and it's about this idea of, yeah, you know, the inside of your business, but also your outside sort of mimicking that being a purposeful business um, and, and looking locally. That's very much what regenerative regeneration is and mm-hmm. yeah the the better business act is a is another idea again where it, it's sort of starting on a measure but I, we've signed that as a company um and it's about amending section 172 of the companies act which would is the job description for company directions uh, directors would be to ensure that all businesses align their interests and people and planet alongside profit so that we're not just talking about profit where we're looking at you know what is the social impact that goes into something and measuring that within the business and also what goes back to the planet i mm-hmm. think that's really important going forward oh uh, yeah i definitely feel at the moment like with the um the privatized water companies it's you know they're taking huge amounts of profits and putting so little into infrastructure and it's it's i think that's sort of being shown more and more as a the high high end or sort of high level capitalism just just sucking from the the what from everything from yeah exactly from um putting nothing back yeah that's a great example isn't it when you're on the beach with nature and you've got sewage coming out and yeah, it's absolutely out there now. You can't deny it. Whereas mm-hmm. before, they were just trying to paper over the cracks, weren't they? So, yeah. and yeah. just absorbing the fines as part of their business model is—it uh, makes me so angry. Yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> so, how can we make this change? I do not know. There's people out there mm-hmm. lobbying. Um, I'm part of. We're part of um, business declares as well, which is also um, a sort of movement for change and. Mm-hmm. We we came and did a day at the uh, Extinction Rebellion big one in April, um, which for a lot of companies, and they've never done anything like that before, and were very scared mm-hmm. about sort of standing outside the energy building. But it was, I think they felt empowered and it was a space for people to come together because people are just, there's so many people out there that know that change is needed. Um, you know, they, they might not think that is the right way to do it, but business declares was great for sort of bringing people to, to, to do together to do that and they're now looking at ways of how can we move this forward um for change as well they've just sent out a, a sort of questionnaire for people that belong to it to see you know where can we go so mm-hmm. there's under under the radar there's lots of different things happening it's just how can we sort of create this quicker movement now to almost do it right but uh almost lobby the government perhaps you know how yeah. how can we make them listen to us more yes That's the feeling it does it does feel like there there's definitely lots of really good things going on as uh, quite grassroots but uh yeah how do you get the the legislation changes which actually force everyone to 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 do the right thing exactly totally I get a lot of emails uh, from people who are kind of excited to make these these changes or they I think they're probably in a place that you were in before covid in that kind of um space of feeling like maybe your work and your ethics weren't quite aligned but needing that big sort of shift. Um what advice would you give to people for who are in that position? I would say that they're going to get left behind if they don't change i mean we're very much in the you know if you think about the circular economy again 
that has to be the way forward, that sort of circular idea of manufacture. Um, the old 20th century linear way of manufacture of take, make, waste, for example, um, it, it, it just can't carry on because we're just, you know, building up more and more waste, more and more consumption. So, um, you know, there's standards that are, are, that are coming in, there's more things coming in and hopefully this will happen in the next few years. And if people don't sort of get on that bandwagon, I don't think they're going to exist as, it's not bandwagon, sorry, on to that. Um, they're not going to exist as, as companies in the future. So mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's sort of trying to find out the best way of doing things and maybe looking at the carbon, first of all, you know, having a tool or getting a report done and, and looking at what you can do to make changes there, perhaps um, joining one of these sort of movements so that you're part of like-minded sort of other companies where maybe they might have suggestions to help you as well. Um, it, it's sort of not trying to do it on your own as well, because it's, 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 it can be lonely and it can be, but it, even if you're making tiny little steps, it's a start. Um, but I mean, I would recommend really it's it's a brave I know step that we did but I think the whole of the company really needs to be rethought about and you know everything coming back to sustainability rather than just having it as an add-on so Mm -hmm. um yeah so that is that is the more sort of bigger I revolutionary idea the braver idea but that's what I've done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be brave. Um, yeah. So, I mean, circular economy uh, has, has come up quite a lot in our discussion. Um, I find it hard to, to, to be truly circular um, in the work I do. I know there's lots of, so for instance, I use uh, hemp and wood fiber insulation a lot in my job. All comes wrapped in plastic. You know, there's always like the, this is brilliant, but yeah, I suppose, is it working and is it, and how, how do we make it more circular? I know it's either circular or it's not, but more completely circular maybe. Yeah. And I think, and I think again, this is the, is the tough place that we're at at the moment, isn't it? It's sort of moving away from this take mate waste to this, yeah, like de- designing out waste and thinking about repurposability in the future. And we're absolutely, there's, you know, we're working with so many different suppliers ourselves when we're building things or making products that um, you'll then come to a like, oh, well, that's going to ruin my circular process now because, <laughs> you know, as you say, there's plastic in that or there's. But I think as long as you're sort of starting with that model and and trying to work as best as you can and almost looking at each bit of it and sort of, OK, well, this bit at the moment isn't quite right it isn't circular but this is a bit that we're working on when so material comes in or something then we'll we'll use that instead and that mm. will make it better but it i think it's just having that mindset shift that this is that this is the way that we want to do things rather than this we don't care and we're going to chuck it in waste and not worry about stuff in the future that's the really important thing to mm-hmm. start with and then yeah, just again, coming back to this sort of, we're on this journey. Don't beat ourselves up too much about it either. We're trying to do our best to make this as best we can circular, but 
you know, you can't just do things overnight and there's so many supply chains involved that, you know, that, yeah. I think that's the best the best advice yeah. I would give on that. Uh, you um you did the the Yellow McCarthy Foundation. Uh, I did, yeah. I looked at various things as a guy in Exeter University, as a professor called Ken Webster, that was doing um, uh, conversations on it as well. He was great. I took, I had a conversation with him too, but um, yeah, it was sort of just really showing the model that they've done. I mean, I've read books by Donella Meadows. She was also someone that started this whole idea, revolutionary woman. And it's almost Ellen MacArthur's taken the same idea and just given it a different name and moved mm-hmm. it on. But they've really brought it out into the forefront. Um, and, yeah, it, it just sort of made you understand really about how it works. And it's almost not a circle. It's more their their sort of picture is more like a butterfly with sort of um different like ecosystems coming out of either side mm-hmm. um and perhaps that's a better way of sort of talking about it because as we've already just mentioned it's very hard to be totally circular but um yeah it's thinking about the carbon the energy produced it's thinking about the biomaterials it's thinking about repurposability in the future it's it's thinking about lots of things really and and yeah how how we make in a, a sort of better way than we did through our mm-hmm. linear system. Is there is there a, a really good example in in a sort of project that you've worked in where uh, where you've taken something that was linear and you've you've substituted for something circular? Well, we're still sort of doing that at the moment, really, by developing this material that we really will shift us forwards in terms mm-hmm. of being circular. We've used other people's sort of materials, perhaps that were made from waste uh we've we've had lots of samples for example like we've uh there's a company called biome that's doing great things with uh mycelium insulation things like that that they've just brought out this year which is um so we've used other people's things to help be more circular um they're also we've got samples of like um cocoa that they've um you know used and we're very much keen to do this sort of thing ourselves and mm-hmm. start to experiment, but trying to do it properly with science behind us. Because, for example, if particularly if we're doing something for the kitchen, it's got to be quality and it's got to be durable. There's no point reinventing something that is going to break straight away, or you know, it, you also do have to try and decide, well, okay, well is this going to biodegrade in time or what is going to happen to this when it's repurposed? So mm-hmm. you've got lots of criteria that you've got to think about. And you've also got to think about the energy in doing this because if you're trying to reinvent something, what's the point of using more energy to do something than what is already there? But the fundamental thing comes back to how can we replace fossil fuels um, and sort of weighing it back to that as well, which is what I always come back to. Mm-hmm. So I don't really like using recycled plastic because it's still made out of fossil fuels at the end of the day. And it's it's almost, it's not totally regenerative. Bio mm-hmm. is the only way I think that we can solve this problem in the future. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked um, a little bit, it's sort of come up uh, about regeneration versus sustainability. 
I'm very conscious of this. I've noticed that uh, I sort of realized about episode 10 of the building sustainability podcast, that sustainability maybe wasn't the best word I could have used. Um, well, quickly, can you describe yeah, the principle of, of regenerative versus sustainable? I can't even say it. Well, sustainability is almost like I'd mentioned earlier. It's a bit like a sticking plaster. It's about doing less mm-hmm. harm. And it's something that, you know, it's almost like adding it onto something. You're not thinking totally about it. You're just, oh, let's see if we can measure the carbon that we're using on a project or, you know, the, the energy. Um, oh, that's okay. That's ticked that box. And then we move on and, and still nothing really changes enough. Um, and it's almost degenerative, really the sustainable thing it it needs it needs to move on to the regenerative which is is trying to fix everything it's about the well-being of people and planet coming back to place reconnecting with nature and restoring ecosystems you know reuniting communities um and i love this idea of the local it's almost we've got this global mindset but we're bringing it back to a local idea it's almost like it's too big for our brains to comprehend all this global stuff but on a local level you know when you look bioregionally at rivers the way that things are mapped out we can we can rebuild you know you look at how indigenous communities have looked after these areas for centuries until we started bothering them and ruining what they've done and they really are the wise people that we need to look to and perhaps look back at our history, um, and there was a reason why why things were built along rivers, and and let's let's come back, and that's what you know everybody's saying now that let's almost remap how we look at things, and it's not just perhaps coming from a city and looking at looking at it. I'm involved, uh, starting to be involved in a donor economics. Uh, Kate Rayworth um, and her donor economics is trying to sort of. Various initiatives are, are, are trying to happen throughout the world. There's been one in Sydney, one in Amsterdam, and we're looking at whether we can do it in Oxfordshire at the moment. And it's very much this thinking of this bioregional idea starting to map even the counties again within Oxfordshire because you can't say south, west, north. It needs to. You need to look at the rivers to remap it, and then almost coming out from there. You know how can we? How can we rebuild this and what are the communities that are within that? May that be a, say, a charity or a person or a, a business? And how can we then work together to sort of rebuild it? And that's what I think regeneration is, looking at the biodiversity as well and, and sort of you know, really working with that, saving it, not just chopping it down and, and sort of, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a definite mind shift paradigm and it's it's really bigger bigger thinking um thinking more on a sort of subconscious level as well um about about moving forward and not yeah um but sustainable is just as i said it's it's almost trying to fix a problem and sort of glue over Mm -hmm. it but it's not it's not it's just not going to solve the problem that's we we can think a little bigger and better, or not necessarily probably not bigger, just better than that. 
And I'm very conscious, you know, I walk with my dog every day and see how the landscape changes. And I think he's been brilliant to almost bring me back to that feeling mm-hmm. of place. And I'm very much looking at, oh, I haven't seen so many insects or, oh, what's the farmer's doing as I'm walking around and sort of really noticing things locally that perhaps I hadn't yeah. done before get, getting that dog even, you know. And I think that's what we need to do more. It's it's not about flying in a plane to see the culture of we need to look on our doorstep. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We've uh, we've had a really nice thing around here where um, the neighbouring fields have been left to they're they're growing wildflower or harvesting wildflowers, so all the all the fields aren't getting mown. Uh, they're not having being grazed off, and the amount of butterflies and um, just of an evening, the swallows swooping over the, the fields, obviously gobbling up all of the, the stuff. And then we had a whole, I think there was four, I think there might have been kestrels, just hunting in our field just at the weekend. And it's, you know, it's a small change of not mowing a, a space has made like a really big uh, biodiversity impact. Absolutely. Very sort of noticeable and easy easy to quantify one yeah absolutely and we've seen the same thing around here actually yeah and it's yeah it's really powerful isn't it yeah absolutely um also i really um i liked what you said there about the regenerative i hadn't really expanded my thoughts on regenerative design into the community level Mm. um the you know the the ability to bring people together and you know what actually creating community with a, a project uh how that is is regenerative as well i think all of it and and it and it comes back to we again this word silo we've become too you know we we don't talk to say like older older generations or you know it, there needs to be more this mixing up again of um and and but through for example these community projects you could you would perhaps be with people that you'd never thought you would ever talk to and they've got mm-hmm. different ideas and different ways of looking at things and i think this is what it comes back to and that's that's what we've lost and we need to bring that back again because everybody has different ideas we need to be more inclusive more yeah how can we include everyone within this and mm-hmm. yeah build this idea of of community absolutely yeah What's exciting you at the moment? I think the the the, the m- m- so many more biomaterials are coming out that we can use in our projects. Um, mm-hmm. This idea of the communities and the idea that, that there is so much more collaboration happening, um, and yeah, I think this bottom up idea of um, how we can make change, almost not waiting for the governments as businesses and communities and people we can do this together um and and yeah and that's what i'm seeing happening you might not see it reported but there is things happening behind the scenes there is you know perhaps we are a bit slower in this country i I see so many exciting things happening in scandinavia i must admit with materials and things i keep looking over there and go oh good they've already looked at that they've done it but um (laughs) how can we how can we yeah learn from that as well and sort of yeah um so yeah i i think um things are moving in the right direction it's just how can we sort of 
accelerate it a bit more really you've mentioned materials there uh and you you've you've mentioned a few examples is there anything that's that you're you're sort of championing at the moment material wise um well mycelium is a an amazing material um which i think is going to be used a lot more within projects um mm-hmm. and yeah just looking at things like food waste as well um as a as a waste material is is quite exciting you know from perhaps using it uh, there's lots of experiments to see where we can go with that to can we use it as a countertop can we but i i'm i'm looking more um at materials that we're using that haven't been sort of shipped so for example coffee you know are we always going mm-hmm. to be able to get coffee maybe if the land heats up so much we'll have our own coffee here but um yeah as i said hemp things like that that we can grow mm-hmm. locally and we can almost use the the excess um off the hemp to make into things that's what really excites me how can we it's this this local idea again how can we mm-hmm. build you know make our own build sorry grow our own uh, materials that we can then use the waste from to make other materials that really excites me and how we can cause change and in our interior environments for the better really uh, you you mentioned uh, when you were talking about the the for the cottage project mm. um that you'd used a, a sort of newer plaster on the walls uh, yeah, we used um, Adaptivate plaster, which is lime-based. Um, mm. And, yeah, it allows the, the walls to breathe. And in old houses, that is particularly important. I mean, you can talk more about this than me because I think <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, it's trying not to but- sort of use cement-based things as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a really good example of uh, a simple substitution that that can be made. You know, swap one bag of plaster for for another. Any other any other sort of materials you're I I love a good material no doubt, so that's why I'm asking. Uh, I mean, there's interesting things that they're doing with textiles at the moment as well to okay. um like denim uh using see the the thing for me is I've got to be careful is that I don't know what the bio, so they've, they've got to obviously make the material. So if it's for an interior, not just a furnishing fabric or whatever, they've got to bind it with something to make to give mm-hmm. it strength. I'm just not totally sure if they're using completely vegetable binders or whatever in different things, but um, they're doing some interesting sort of things with denim, for example, and um, other waste waste textiles, which mm-hmm. is a a huge sort of area that so much landfill of clothes um what can we turn yeah. it into instead and that's certainly something that we can reuse in our local areas as well uh i saw a video of a chap making he was sort of pressing denim together with resin and then turning them into frames for glasses and that sort of mm. is that what you mean are you, are yeah. you concerned about what that that resin yeah because you still can't necessarily repurpose it down the line if it's still got some kind of that's what i'm i'm still not totally you know believing in well show me Mm -hmm. how you can re repurpose it then in the future yeah yeah and has it got some element of fossil fuel still in it 
Yes. This is more the purest thinking here, but I think I'd rather be on that line than not, to be honest. Oh, oh completely, yeah. Mm. And it's it's hard to wade through the, the greenwash. Uh, exactly. You know, oh, we use 10% recycled material. We're an eco product. Mm. You're not. No, exactly, exactly. And and so how are you using these um, these sort of principles in your, your interiors? Yeah, um, well, when we when we first go into a place, it's almost doing an audit of the space and um, even sort of saying to the client, you know, if, say, they want a whole space looking at, do you actually need to change that to start with, which is quite a brave move because you, really brave, you're yeah. perhaps not going to be earning as much from it. Um, and then sort of going, well, can we reuse it? Do we have to buy new? Is there something we can do with it? And that's almost the first principle um mm-hmm. and then in whether that be a residential or a commercial project and then you know um say for example we are uh, trying to pioneer to make sort of better kitchens that don't come from china and amazed using materials that we can repurpose um we're using a glueless construction because that means that they they can be repurposed easier in the future and that's something mm-hmm. that we've sort of been spending quite a lot of time doing and then looking, you know, when you start peeling away, for example, layers of the kitchen, you know, a lot of it is durable because of the laminate that is put onto the the wood. But again, the, the laminate, um, how repurposable is that? Once it's stuck onto the wood, you can't really get it off. So that means that that whole piece has to go in landfill in the future. So what mm. materials can we use instead? You know, just constantly thinking about durability um and and this is tough it's sort of you know we've we've done experiments with uh low voc paint and that is you know it can be a good way because you can touch up things continually mm-hmm. as you go forward so that's something that we do specify and we're looking at other materials like lino as well at the moment because okay. you can repurpose that as well um but it's quite a complicated subject because you've got so many different parts to a kitchen like you know recyclable mm-hmm. feet um say somebody wanted to move it to another house how can you do that how can you make it so that you know it it could be used for disabled for one person but then someone else comes in that has different needs it's thinking mm-hmm. about the whole ergonomics and the whole sort of um you know adaptability of things in the future as well and that's what we're trying to do uh, and then you come to the broader interiors, and, and as I've mentioned, um, there's a lot of off-gassing that occurs from, um, for example, sofas that have got fl- flame retardants on the actual fabrics that make them. Um, and so it's it's educating the client on this kind of thing as well. Um, there's, there's various, you know, we've been lobbying as part of Interior Declares, uh, supporting a lady upholsterer who's been lobbying the government about change because um, they're finding that upholsterers are, are, you know, they're getting absolutely horrible hands. They're, they're really oh. being affected by the, the chemical treatments that are happening. Um, mm. And there was also something recently to do with mattresses as well where they're lobbying and in commercial settings you have to have crib five standards for mattresses which is this flame the flame retardancy and they were finding after about seven years that the the chemicals either all gone into the humans 
or they'll have gone out into the atmosphere. So what's the point of using those then? So you've got all these dodgy chemicals that we don't know about within us. So, And there, our standards are quite different to uh, Europe and are almost a bit more stringent in some ways. Like, you know, mm. how often do we have candles and use them in our house? So why do we need some of these standards anymore? They're a bit uh, antiquated, really. And, mm. um, you know, like... You on a, on the bottom of a product, for example, you'll have a fire label that's attached to it. People don't realise that it becomes redundant um, if you take that label off. Right. You have to keep that label on it. Um, and a lot of now they've introduced guidelines recently because of the the chemicals with the in. You can't even put your uh, sofa or whatever in landfill anymore. Because so that shows how toxic it is. But yes, we we've got them still in our houses. It's crazy. There's so many different ways of re-educating, and it's almost like going through this whole process when you're starting a project with with your client, really. And if they make yeah. just one of those changes, it's a start. Yes, I mean what has become apparent to me as you're talking is that um, I think uh, people would probably think of interior designers as a as sort of space makers or placemakers, you know, uh, colors and objects and shapes. Uh, and actually what's needed in the same as in building, it's a, a deep knowledge of what the material actually is and what it's doing. Um, so not just looks. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's the spatial, it's the ergonomics, which I think people neglect too much and and there is this whole sort of disparity about well what is an interior designer it we're not mm. in interior decorator is one thing but an interior mm. designer is also thinking about the needs of the person in the space and this well-being idea is i think what needs to become forefront is that we're thinking about the well-being of the person in the space and that means as you say well what are those products and how what are they made from and how are they going to better the person in the space in the future um and then looking at the you know the light the air the natural conditions and how you can use technology as well to sort of work with it but yeah lots of different things and also obviously biophilia is huge which is the buzzword of the podcast for the last couple of years (laughs) yeah 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 no absolutely well i mean it's um it's been fantastic to hear from you I've, i've found it incredibly inspiring and and really hopeful actually i've had a few uh a few months of of being a bit overwhelmed by things um and feeling yeah pretty pretty beaten by by a lot of uh sort of news stories and and uh you know the weather uh, absolutely i feel the same but i think that's why we, it's important that we get into these spaces more with like-minded people and take stock actually of what is happening and yeah, I think that's the only thing we can do really to try and and we you know, we've got I've got children. I don't know if you have, but I have and I I can't not do anything when I think about their mm-hmm. future. It's I've got to try and do all I can. because um, that's the, that's the only way we move forward by sticking our heads in the sand. Go, oh, well stuff it, who cares anyway. I I just think that's tragic. As designers, I've always been a designer. I think we've got a responsibility because we are always the innovators and the the people that cause change at the front. Now is our chance because we've been neglected 
this will send me on my whole designer bandwagon. But creativity is always, you know, it's always about science. It's always, and we are the thinkers that think creatively, and we are so needed now. They're saying that as number 17 in the, as a role, uh, design is now coming to be wanted to number three to work with science to um to make change so brilliant finally we've got a voice (laughs) (laughs) when you said number number 17 sort of ranked as a as an industry yeah it's quite low down not really seen as an important you know an important thing i had no idea that that we'd been oh yes of course that's why who they give funding to and who they don't (laughs) of course yes (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, number number three is where we want to be, though. Absolutely. (laughs) Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thanks very much for Helen for making the time to talk with me. I certainly hope that you are feeling inspired at the ways you can take your work and projects. I know I certainly am. There is a whole load of links to the stuff we've talked about. Uh, That is Kite Creative, What is a Purposeful Business, Edward Bulmer Paint, The Glastonbury Waste Bench, Planted, Kintsugi, First Planet, 2050 Materials, Cradle to Cradle, B Corp, Uh, The Better Business Act, Business Declares, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Uh, In the episode, I called her Ellen McCarthy. Apologies for that. Yeah, lots of other bits for you to check out, as well as an event link for that Windows conference uh, with Marianne Sir. If this was your first episode, then please do subscribe and don't miss any future episodes. And have a look back through the other 102 episodes. I think if this episode was your thing, then definitely check out episode 65 with rachel fowler how to make our interior space healthy and sustainable and if you did enjoy this episode then please take two seconds and just share the episode to your favorite social media stick it in a newsletter or just tell someone at a social gathering that they should listen and then make sure you stand over them and wait for them to find it on their phone and subscribe so they don't forget and finally if you do find this podcast useful or entertaining then please do consider supporting via Patreon if you can afford it. Uh, There's a link in the show notes. It helps me out and you get loads more nuggets of information from the guests. And that includes 
five minutes extra from Helen. Okay, that's all from me. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you are safe and well. Until next time, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.